Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome, everyone, to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. Alexi Popperin, Taylor Fritz, Alexander Zverev, all title winners this week. I am going to go through all finals, all three of them, on the ATP Tour. A couple of interesting ones and a couple of names that we aren't really used to talking about on Monday Match Analysis, which is always nice. We'll begin with the one that actually won the title, Alexi Popperin, his second career title uh, in Umag, three-set win over Stan Wawrinka. Let's start there because I thought the information flow of ideas kind of flowed best starting with Umag uh, to pull the curtain back. But also, I thought it was the best final from last week. Most interesting. I enjoyed it a lot just as a watch. Got to start with Popperin's composure his mental toughness in this match. That's what stands out to me. And to understand why that was so impressive to me, I got to take you through that first set. Popperin goes up a break, and he is dominating on serve. He steps to the line, 5-4, serving for the first set, having held his serve four times, losing just one point, and it was a double fault. Stan is not making anything happen on return. He wins the first point of that 5-4 game. It's 15-love. Vavrinka hits this shank return that lands right in the corner, puts him in a good spot, wins the point. Later on in the game, it's 30-40, break point, and Stan hits the net cord, ends up completely disrupting Popperin's footwork. He's out of position. He makes an error. It's a, a lucky net cord, a, at least a disruptive net cord, that ends up converting the break point for Stan. So now we're even in the first set. It's 5-all. It ends up going to a tie break. Popperin's down 4-3 in this tie break. Stan hits another net cord. This time it was Popperin really controlling the point, dictating from an offensive position. Ball hits the net cord. It resets the point back to neutral, and Stan ends up winning the point. Another unlucky moment. Popper ends up losing the tiebreak 7-5. So this felt like a, a bit of a a bit of a stolen set by Stan. You know, Popperin was looking to be in, in really good shape, uh pl just playing better in the in the first couple, you know, through the first few stages of the set. And then, you know, the net cord goes against him in big spots twice. A big shank return is kind of the, the turning point. 
It's tough. It's bad luck. But Popperin didn't feel sorry for himself. That's what was so impressive here. He gets right back to work in the second set like nothing happened where he could have faded away. And he gets the early break in the second set, starts three love in the second. So I don't know if he always had this. What would Alexi Popperin, how would Alexi Popperin of last year reacted the year before? I don't think this well. Look, I am I am less than an Alexi Popperin expert, uh, but just from what I've seen, I don't think he had that kind of in-match composure in the past. That's a really good sign from him because I'm telling you, that was a, a heartbreaking first set and a very frustrating one, and he just got right back to work. Let's skip ahead to the third set. This was a strange set of tennis. It looked like Popperin's fitness was going on him at two all. He starts cramping, which made sense at the time. Physicality was kind of a question mark heading into the final because he played this three-hour, 16-minute semifinal against Matteo Arnaldi, which I believe finished pretty late at night as well. So Popperin starts cramping. You know, first two sets, you know, him and Stan, they were playing a lot of long, you know, physical rallies as well. It was classic clay court tennis. And it was like, all right, you know, kind of makes sense. Final, end of the week, really brutal semifinal. So they head to the changeover, 2-3 on serve. Popperin's getting ready to serve. He does get some treatment at the change of ends. I'm not actually sure what the specifics of that treatment was, but turned out it worked really, really well. Maybe not immediately because in this 2-3 game, you know, Popperin is still not really trusting his movement. It's still tentative. He makes some sloppy mistakes. And Vavrenka has break point. It's 30-40. This point of the match, it's pretty clear Stan, Stan's going to win. You know, if nobody watching the match would have thought that Stan wasn't going to win here. You have a cramping opponent. And... Vavrinka has a break point here to go up 4-2. And it, it seems like even if he doesn't convert this break point, he'll have plenty more chances. Well, he dumps a routine backhand into the net here. He had all day to set up. He wasn't even trying to do much with the backhand. Just a regulation backhand trade cross court. Very, very rare to see Stan miss a shot like that. At the time, you think, okay, weird mistake, bad mistake, but he'll have more chances later on. In hindsight, this was absolutely massive. This miss changed this final. So Popper and rest of the game, he kind of has a, a lifeline here, starts to go nuclear, makes some bad mistakes, but kind of makes up for it with some really great firepower. He finishes with... Uh, Inside-out forehand winner, which he absolutely unloaded on. I think it was triple-digit speed. It, it was another small turning point just because I think he he really got every bit of tension in his body that, that existed just completely went out the window on this forehand. He completely, again, gave it every thing he had, and it went in the court. Extended grunt, winner, everything. Next point, ace. And now the juices are kind of flowing. He escaped that, you know, really shaky game. And from here, I think he plays 
pretty great from three all in the third set. He's definitely point shortening to try to save his legs. Definitely point shortening. But his cramping went away. His movement is fine. And he's depressurized because I think in his mind, he kind of accepted that he probably wasn't going to win. And he started to hit out on his shots. You know, throughout the match, he was he was hitting the ball great. But I think it got even to another level down the stretch here in the third. Tough for Vavrinka. Tough for Stan. I think to think he's going to have a cramping opponent. Suddenly, not only is his opponent not cramping, but he's depressurized, really clear-headed, really offensive, and playing great. That's really tough for Stan, whose level maybe dropped off a hair because he was caught by surprise a little bit. This happens sometimes. This is why cramping is weird. Sometimes it goes away. Sometimes that happens. That's why a lot of players, you know, unless they're in really dire pain uh, and, you know, full body cramping, they won't retire. They'll just bide their time and hope it goes away. For Popperin, this was just a little incident and it went away. Uh, however, tons of stuff to praise Alexi for in terms of his play. He had a lot of effective options throughout the match against Stan. So in, in one way... I'm making it sound like the this cramping, you know, dynamic kind of saved him or, or he got a little bit lucky there. But uh, the other reality of the match is that Popperin was kind of the better player the entire time. I've already gone over how I feel about the first set. A little bit of a steal by Stan. Uh, Poppy comes back, wins the second, and then in the third, you know, Despite the the weirdness of it all, again, Popperin is kind of dictating terms. And, you know, that starts with shutting down Stan's block return. Popperin was was really well suited to kind of to kind of counter or take advantage of what Vavrinka does on return. Uh first it started with a lot of serve and volley, tons of it. And he continued to mix it in, but the biggest thing was, I think, going to it a lot early to just get Stan thinking and to get him away from hitting the block return. When Popperin stayed back, and again, he did a really good job of mixing it up, his first forehands were, were so good. His forehand is, a, is an absolute monster when he has a lot of time to load it up and when his feet are in the right position. It's a real monster. It's top-tier weight of shot. And with Stan just floating the returns back, Popperin just has all day to, to set up and hit that forehand. Does he have to generate all the pace? Yes. Is Stan's block return oftentimes deep in the court? Yes. But again, with Popperin's power, it does not necessarily matter. Those things just don't prevent Popperin from creating damage off of that first forehand. Really, really great damage. It's pretty rare to find someone who's so good in both areas. Someone who's going to serve and volley and someone who's going to hit first forehands with, with that kind of firepower. So, you know, it just seemed like Stan, he did make some adjustments, especially in the first set. I should say, you know, Vavrinka wouldn't have won the first set, wouldn't have won breaks, uh, wouldn't have gotten the break of serve back if he didn't make some some adjustments on return of serve to counter the serve and volleying. He had a couple of block returns that stayed lower and were were a little bit more biting. 
and then he hit hit over some returns. As the match progressed, he really started hitting over a lot of returns. So he made that adjustment, but I think he missed more returns as a result. It, it definitely pushed him back court position-wise because Stan can stand a little bit closer in when he's blocking the return, but when he's hitting over the return, especially on a first-serve return, he's got to be all the way on the back fence. So it definitely hurt his court position. And it just seemed like he had to think a lot about the return. Like he was on the, he was kind of having to problem solve the entire time as opposed to just playing, you know, naturally and the, the kind of routine patterns, which a player kind of always wants to fall into. There were other ways that I thought Popperin's forehand was huge and was a major disruptor on the court. Uh, other than the plus one, I just thought the power was uh, was really amazing that, that he displayed here in Umag. And I mentioned that it needs time, but if Stan wasn't blocking the return, right? I mentioned that that was a scenario that Popperin was able to buy himself time. But I think that on clay, Alexi is also able to use his court position to buy himself that time and unlock the power. Popperin was uh, was retreating pretty far back, especially on the return of serve, but even in rally, to buy himself the time that unleashes the potential and the capability of the power on his forehand. He did that on his return. He did that on the second return running around a lot, threatening with his big forehand on the second return, which was really important. And he had terrific drop shot effectiveness in combination with his forehand power. And it was really easy for him to push Stan back. And Stan wasn't incredibly quick moving forward. And Stan wasn't all that good with his continental grip play on the backhand. Popperin usually on the drop shot hitting the left side of the ball, almost an inside-out forehand drop shot. So every time Vavrinka was coming in to get a drop shot, it was on his backhand. And there were a couple moments where he was good with his backhand continental, but uh, a lot of moments where he wasn't. For all, third set, Popperin gets the break. Let's run through this real quick, see if we can pick up on some of the themes. First point that Popperin won Clean forehand first serve return winner down the line off of a wide serve where he's like on the back fence and he's just creating enough time for himself because he's so far back and Stan doesn't serve all that fast. He's creating enough time for himself to take this massive cut on a first serve return and he's absolutely blistering it. First serve return winner from way downtown. Unbelievable. Uh, second point was uh, 15 all point, I believe. Stretch backhand return ends up really short in the court. Stan has to get up to it. Low midcourt forehand, just long, just a hair long. Tough miss for Vavrinka here. 15-30. Double fault by Vavrinka. But Popperin was running around again here to hit a big forehand. And it went just long, the second serve. I think there was a lot of pressure being uh, applied, a lot of intimidation being applied based on how often Popperin was running around to hit the forehand return. 
And in this case, he was doing it again. Whether or not Stan saw him out of the corner of his eye in his peripheral or not, there was a lot of pressure on that second serve. So double fault. Uh, that's rare for Stan. Again, not a lot of double faults in Vavrinka's game, generally. And then on the break point, I believe it's 30-40 uh, here, Popper actually moves up in the court. He takes this back. He takes the return on the backhand really early and hard, backs up Vavrinka right away, follows it up with the forehand drop shot, which forces an error. So you see Popperin doing two things. Threatening with his forehand, attacking with his forehand, bringing Stan into the forecourt, once off of a return, once off of a drop shot. And that's the break serve. So uh, big picture here. It was tough not to pull for Stan. It, it felt like kind of a heartbreaking loss because of Popperin, you know, cramping for a moment there. And again, watching the match, it seemed like it was in the bag for Stan. Uh, but also, even, even in the loss, you know, it's hard not to appreciate what Vavrinka is doing. He was tearing up in the trophy ceremony. I, I don't really know if it was out of appreciation, if it was out of sadness, if it was really coming from, you know, a place of defeat. I don't know. But what is clear he just cares so much, and he's giving this sport everything he has, and it's such a great thing to watch. There were also some vintage moments at the end of the first set that, that put a smile on my face. You know, classic Vavrinka, under pressure, tight moments on the scoreboard, and you just can't tell with the way he's just grooving his power baseline game. Th there's not an ounce of fear in his bones. Watch that set point. 6-5, first set tie break. Watch that set point. There's not a, a, a fleckle of fear in Vavrinka's game with the way he's hitting the ball. And his decisions are the same, and his power is, is the same, his weight of shot is the same, because his arm is not tight, and he's just absolutely going for it, but he's going for it in a way that's so calculated and responsible and, and machine-like. And it's just a brilliant offensive point that he put together. And and really, the all down the stretch of the first set tiebreak, he was playing that way. And that was great to see. Popper in big picture. It's hard to say where he goes from here. I'm not really sure. But he's definitely made some huge improvements. He's way better than last year, which is a low bar. Uh, but he's definitely way less erratic now. And I think he's improved his professionalism a lot. And I'll mostly just be seeing to see how having less time affects his game from here on out, rest of the season. His return of serve and his forehand. Because right now, his record in 2023 is as followed. He's 11-6 on clay. He's 6-6 six six on hard court. And he's 1-3 on grass. Let's go to Zverev. He wins Umag. Uh, sorry, he does not win Umag. Popperin wins Umag. Zverev wins Hamburg. First title in 18 months, 20th of his career. I'll just throw in as he wins his 20th. And, you know, we've kind of been tracking Daniil Medvedev throughout the year. And, and he recently won his 20th title. I'm kind of interested to see who retires with more titles. It's been an amazing and interesting race to follow. You know, Zverev had a huge lead at one point. A Alex was much better as a, as a young player, 18, 19, 20 years old. Uh, Zverev was winning a lot of titles. Medvedev wasn't. 
Daniil in the last couple of years has caught all the way up. Now they're tied at 20. They're, you know, really in the same kind of age, same generation. And I'm just kind of curious to see at this point who retires with more titles. Going back to Zverev, bringing it back to Zverev. He is now, with this title, top 10 in the race. But it's been a, a strange season because it doesn't feel like he's had a lot of big moments, honestly. And here's why. Here's why he's top 10 in the race and it doesn't feel like he's had a lot of big moments. It's because he's 0-8 against top 10 players. He's 1-8 against top 20 players. His one top 20 win was against Francis Tiafo at Roland Garros. Tiafo on clay. Decent win. Not, not, not an amazing win. How's he top 10 in the race? Because against players who are outside of the top 20, since Dubai in February, when he actually started to play well, he is 29-5. and five. That is a remarkable record. That is a record that suggests that you are a top player. 29 and 5 against players outside of the top 20 since February. And now he's just won his first title. Not a 250 title, a 500 title. But he did it without beating anybody in the top 50. So let's get into the, this final against uh, Laszlo Gera. Uh, in the first set, key kind of turning point here, Jera loses four break points in one game. I want to go through them real quick. On the first break point, Jera tries to pattern change on his backhand, looks to kind of take it down the line, and it just clips the top of the tape, doesn't go over. I suppose that is the reward for Zverev for having such a scary and great backhand that Jared doesn't want to go backhand a backhand. So you have a player who's trying to play the more dangerous directional and making an unforced error as a result. Second break point. Zverev hits a good serve, but the return is, is a good, biting, low chip return. So Zverev has to move inside the court Hit a mid-court forehand, cross-court approach. Great approach shot. Jera hits a great pass. I think it was a forehand down the line pass. And yeah, it was. And Zverev, stretch backhand volley, cross-court. Fantastic. Unbelievable volley. Jera does get to the volley. Makes Zverev kind of play one extra volley. But it's an easy one. Whole court is open. Forehand volley. I could have made it. Anybody could have made it easy. So it was the backhand volley, which was really, really great. Third break point here. This is now after the game has gone to deuce. Uh, service winner, down the tee, a lot of pace, nasty, nasty bounce off the clay. Really jumped up. I, I think a really tough serve to return. Fourth break point. This is another service winner, again down the tee. This one was very returnable to my eyes. Zverev didn't hit his spot, shortened the service box right into the Jera forehand strike zone. He just mistimed it. He was out in front of it for some reason. So uh, that's a that's a bad missed return, even though it was on a big you know Zverev first serve, just because there was actually nothing good about that first serve. 
So that is kind of Jera's chance in this match. I thought, you know, with Laszlo actually playing really, really well at the start of this match and Sasha also playing well, quality pretty high. That was the chance for this to become a competitive final. But it ends up, you know, not being all that competitive a final because Zverev gets the break right after and he ends up winning this in straights. Um, here's the big thing I noticed with Zverev. He was taking his forehand down the line and inside out from the middle of the court way more than usual. So normally, Zverev on his forehand, he likes to hit the right side of the ball, which means he's either hooking it cross court, he's going in from the middle of the court, he's going into the, uh, the deuce side, from the deuce side, he's going cross, and even when he runs around, he's going inside in as opposed to inside out for the most part. He likes to hit the right side of the ball. And players have been able to anticipate that against him. And I think it's really hurt Zverev against the best players and the best forehands in particular. Uh, because not only is it predictability, and predictability is bad, but also it does not get Zverev into the pattern that he wants to get into. In this match, what was really standing out to me was Zverev going, uh, hitting into the ad side with his forehand so often that he was getting into that backhand-to-backhand -backhand pattern where he's basically better than anybody else. So that's what that's what stood out to me so much. He was setting up the backhand-to-backhand -backhand exchange on a regular basis because his forehand was actually going into the ad side. So that was big. I, I really haven't seen Zverev do that so well, ever. And then there was the defense. The defense from Sasha, which is on clay, it, it's always just really, really good. And in this match, you have Jera, who's playing awesome off the ground. I, I, make, I have no hesitation when I say that. Jera was playing awesome off the ground. But he's not coming in. You know, I, I never looked at the, the net stats, so let me pull that up now. I meant to obviously look that up and, and write it down, but I just never got to it. So let me find that. But uh, what it kind of felt like was Jera, who, who doesn't have anything. Look, he's got some, some power, but he does not have, I can play Zverev on clay and stay back power, which not a lot of people do. That would be some serious tier one firepower, which Jared doesn't have. So look, he's making a lot of good things happen off the ground. He's trying to be offensive, and, and he is being offensive. But when it comes to finishing points, it's an uphill battle because he's not coming in. And Zverev covers the court remarkably well. He defends remarkably well. Um, no, not Zverev Fis. Oh, they don't have the final up on the, um, should I go to live scores? Oh, come on. There's like a bug in the ATP, uh, website here. Oh, okay. No, I can't, I can't pull it up. 
I'm not going to be able to get the stat. Oh, well. Anyway, Zara basically just not coming in. That's killing him. Zverev's defense started to dominate. End of the first set. End from there. Um, if you look at the... If you look at the, the break of serve in the first set, which uh, came at which came at 5-6, um, Jera's up 15 love, had an easy put away volley, stayed back, ended up missing a forehand on the next ball. Then at 30-40, he should have been up at net. He, he had Zverev kind of on the stretch slicing a backhand. Zverev hit that slice backhand short, and Jera, instead of being up at net already, he had to run up to the ball and hit this kind of soft approach shot, which he was running through, and then he got lopped. And that was the, the either, the, I think that was actually the set point at 5-6. Yeah, I think that was the set point. And then later on, um, there were also some, some big moments, third set at three, four at deuce. He actually did come in, but he came in after this really long hesitation. Didn't get close enough to the net, popped up a backhand drop volley. This was at three, four deuce popped up the backhand drop volley, got, got passed. It was an easy pass. Um, and then on the next point, he missed this reckless first ball backhand down the line wide where it just seemed like Zverev's court coverage kind of broke his will. And there were a couple moments here where it seemed like Zverev's brain kind of shut off, that he was just frustrated by how well Zverev was playing. And man, he, he, was, playing, he was playing incredible tennis. That was the second break of serve in, in the second set. I'm not going to take you through the break of serve, the first break of serve in the second set by Zverev. But I will say, Jera, after the first couple points where he made a couple of sloppy mistakes, did almost nothing wrong. And Zverev was just incredible in this return game to break serve. So, uh, yeah, that's that's all I got on, on this Zverev final, which he wins in straight sets, 7-5, uh, 6-3. Again, I don't think Jera played bad. I just think that Jera was in order to actually win, was going to need to come forward given his level of baseline power and Zverev's level of defense, which is at the highest level on clay. Um, all right, before I wrap up, look, this is still kind of news. It's the first time that I've talked about Zverev on Monday Match Analysis since this has happened. Uh, so I want to just kind of quickly lay lay out this, this news for anybody who maybe hasn't heard it, which I do think are some people. Uh, German news outlet RTL reported that the public prosecutor's office in Berlin is uh, seeking a penalty order against Verev for causing alleged bodily harm against his ex-girlfriend, Brenda Patea, who is the mother of Zverev's daughter. And uh, Zverev this week denied those allegations. Right now, I don't think... I can add anything interesting or useful to this story when it comes to my commentary. So I just wanted to lay that out. I do have some thoughts, but sometimes you have to know when the right time to share them is. And this is not the, the kind of thing that I want to talk about until I fully understand it. 
When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. And it's hard to fully understand this because so little is known. I want to let this develop a little bit more, and then I'll have more to say, is the net-net. Right now, um, this is being played out in a legal system, which is different from the last one, different from Alia Sharipova. Uh, there aren't any details available about what the allegations in really even are, which is also different from last time. There has yet to be any response by the ATP. I think there will be at some point. And that's it. So let's move on now to Atlanta. Fritz Vukic. Taylor wins it in three sets. Much needed for Taylor Fritz. Season wasn't really going the best direction. Didn't look like his level was quite the same in the last couple weeks. So I just think, you know, this was an important event for him to build up some confidence before the bigger North American hardcore events. Just to kind of put a stat behind what I just said, this was Fritz's first three-win event since Monte Carlo. Now, I also kind of want to look at his season as a whole and make a point about whether or not it's been good, whether it's been bad, you know, how do we kind of quantify his season as a whole? Taylor Fritz is nine in the world and nine in the race. I think anybody coming into the year with reasonable expectations for Fritz would have been like pretty satisfied with that. That is where he finished last year. We all agree that Fritz was a revelation last year, right? Kind of overachieved did better than we really could have expected, although there were some signs at the end of 2021 that that maybe was coming. But, you know, he ended up at the year-end championships finishing nine in the world. In fact, I feel like usually if you finish nine in the world, you have a pretty good shot at getting into the year-end championships. A lot of the time, at least somebody is injured. So on paper, that is very much satisfactory. Nine in the world, nine in the race. But I also think that it highlights the fact that the rankings like smaller events a little bit more than our brains do. Maybe even more than Taylor does. Because obviously at the last four majors, Fritz has lost in the first round once, the second round twice, and the third round once. Those are his last four majors. If you look at rankings points... From the, from the last four majors combined, 190 points. 190. So how's he nine in the world, nine in the race? Well, it's because of what he's done everywhere else. Three Masters quarterfinals, one semifinal. And there are four titles on his 52-week rankings. There are three titles. And I know you might, you might be about to correct me, but I'm right. There are three titles on this year's rankings because 
United Cup. People. 350 points for winning the United Cup. And I actually, I, I covered that event. I actually forget exactly how the ranking system is fleshed out. But like when your team wins the United Cup, you do get rewarded for that in the rankings. 350 points, Taylor Fritz. So there's really three titles this year on his rankings, along with Delray and this title here in Atlanta. So my point is this. These titles don't salvage Taylor Fritz's season. I think only a nice run at the U.S. Open can do that. Or, you know, maybe another Masters title coming up. But they do salvage his ranking. They absolutely salvage his ranking. The rankings like these smaller events a little bit more than our brains do. What did I see from Fritz this week? Uh, kind of quarterfinals on, he was really good. And it was kind of clear that his level was elevated kind of above what we've seen recently. He held 47 of 48 service games for the tournament. And, you know, his weapons were firing. Big serves, big forehands. I would say the uncomplicated reality of this final against Vukic was this. Alexander Vukic was this. Fritz served better, returned better. Got more unreturned serves. And his forehand didn't have the occasional malfunctions that Vukic's forehand did. Now, there were moments, you know, he did blow a match point with a missed forehand. He did lose the set point 5-6 in, um, in the second set with, uh, I'm sorry, in the, in the first set. Um, no, why am I, why am I, uh, I'm fuzzy here. Yeah, first set. No, second set. Second set, final answer. He did, uh, he did lose set point on a missed forehand in the second set in the tiebreak at 5-6. So yeah, you could, you could point to two moments where Fritz missed forehands on big points, but there was never a service game where his forehand failed him. And the same is not true about Vukic. And I thought that that was a big key. Taylor didn't even face a break point in this three-set final. And he won 74% of his second serve points, largely because his kick serve was working really, really well. His kick serve to Vukic's backhand. More on that in a moment. I also think that Fritz deserves a lot of praise for how he did get the break of serve at 3-all in the third set. There was a bit of luck on the first point, albeit he hit a return that kind of skid off the service line and Vukic ended up missing the first ball forehand, but it did take a weird and funky bounce. The next point by Fritz was a, a very, very special forehand cross court on the run. The, the more I watch this forehand, the more I don't really understand how Fritz was able to hit a winner off of it. Uh, you know, he was pretty deep in the court, and I just don't know how, how he got so much on it. Um, it did break the sideline as well. He got good angle on it. And it, it felt like Vukic was a little bit caught off guard by, by how big the forehand was. So much so that Alex didn't actually move all that well to it because I just don't think he he saw a big forehand like that coming. So really great forehand on the run cross-court winner. Then it's, uh, it's Love 30. And this was the climax of the third set to me. It was the point where Vukic is like, I can't lose this point. And Fritz was like, I have to win this point. And both players 
absolutely locked in and played a 27-shot rally. Incredible grind by Taylor here. He made Vukic hit a lot of backhands. Vukic, we'll talk about his backhand. It's hard for him to actually make something happen on it. And once you get to shot number 15, shot number 20, shot number 25, and you have to, you know, you're desperately looking for a finish and you're having to hit this backhand that you can't really do much on, it starts to really wear on you. And it felt like Fritz just played a, a really, really well-constructed point where, you know, Vukic was remaining unattackable. Fritz was as well. And what was going to happen? You know, what was going to give? Once you get to, you know, we're 20, 25 shots in, what's likely now going to give is who has better, you know, who's going to have better fitness in this point. And it was Taylor Fritz. Uh, the, the sequence was Vukic had a backhand. He goes down the line because he's trying to get the point back on his forehand. Fritz goes cross court with his forehand. And at this point, Vukic doesn't have much left. He's running into the open court and he just slaps a forehand down the line, hits the net. Kind of, kind of a prayer, you know, low percentage, tap out. 27th shot of the rally. I don't blame Vukic for tapping out. You got to give Fritz a ton of credit for that grind. Great grind by him. Love 40. Vukic is dead tired. Plus one forehand on forced error. Didn't move his feet. Break it, love. Fritz serves it out from there. Very, very confidently. So that's uh, that's it for the final. Um, I, I want to make one point about Taylor Fritz, but I want to end this Monday match analysis by making that point. So in the interim, quick rundown on Alexander Vukic. Some of you may be interested because I don't think I've ever talked about him on the channel. Uh, and he did make a, a great run, beat some good players, including Chris Eubanks in his hometown. So uh, I want to give him his due. He does great damage off of his forehand. And a lot of that has to do with how he produces it. Really, really short take back. And it does a couple of things. First of all, I think his forehand is unbelievably tough to read. There was a really important forehand winner in the second set tiebreak where Taylor's knees almost buckled because I think not only did he not read it uh, early, I actually think he was completely fooled by it and he thought it was going inside in and it went inside out and Fritz gave it a little and just completely, again, he, his knees buckled. That's how badly he misread it. It's really hard to figure out where that forehand is going. And again, I think it's because everything in his forehand, it happens really, really late. He holds his take back for a very long time and has this kind of fast twitch delivery out of his take back, out of his preparation it's tough to read. Uh, the short take back also helps his precision. He's very accurate on it. And it helps him take time away, which he does very, very well. He also gets pretty good weight of shot. And that is where the short take back should, shirt, should hurt him. It doesn't look like there should be a lot of, of you know, buildup in racket head speed because of this, this kind of compact take back. Uh, but I, I think, you know, he gets pretty good weight of shot. Maybe technology-aided? Maybe? Um, he strings his racket at 44 pounds. 
all polyester, entire string bed is polyester. And uh, he uses the Babolat Pure Drive. And, you know, I can't help but notice, you know, thinking about players who are kind of similar, players who get a lot out of their technology with short takebacks. Uh, you know, Cam Norrie has also plays with the Babolat with, the, you know, that kind of bunty backhand. And then you have Adrian Manorino, who plays with the Pure Drive, just like Vukic. So, I don't know. Ball explodes off of his racket. Really damaging forehand for a, a couple of interesting reasons. He's also an excellent spot server with above average pace. He's got quick hands on the return of serve where, you know, he can he can take the return pretty early, be very aggressive on the return of serve. Again, because he has quick hands and he, he just deflects the pace of uh, on the return of serve really, really well. Doesn't have high end speed, but he does have quick feet. Good footwork, moves inside the court, moves up to the ball very well. And also creates forehands really well, runs around, moves to his left well. Obvious kind of weakness and quirk in his game is his backhand. But I, I actually think there's some things that Vukic does on his backhand, first of all, that are, are very effective, that are, that are good. Stays really low, doesn't miss a lot on it, and kind of understands how to remain unattackable. Sometimes hits it right through the middle, not giving any angle, and oftentimes taking pace off. So again, it's kind of hard to attack. No pace, no spin, no height, no angle. Kind of hard to attack. The way to kind of get the worst out of Vukic's backhand is to take away, take, take, take off pace. Make him generate with his backhand. He can't really do that. But if you go to his backhand with no pace, he runs around. You see how he kind of creates a dilemma here? Give him pace, and you allow his backhand to perform at a higher level. Take away pace, and he runs around and hits forehand. That's the dilemma. So he's done a great job of figuring out how to manage his backhand, which is a good? No. Does it kill him on slow surfaces? Yeah. But... He's really savvy. He's really figured out how to use it for what it is. Good performance in, in the final for Vukic, by the way. Other than kind of an implosion at the end of the first set, he was up 30-15 in this 6-5 game, or 5-6 game, and uh, he was awful. Three points in a row to, to lose it. Other than that, I thought he, was, uh, he, he played really well in the final. It was almost a straight set loss. I mentioned that Fritz missed a forehand on the first match point. Second match point save. At 5-6. So it was almost 7-5, seven, 7-5 five, seven, five Fritz in this final. Instead, it goes three. Uh, second match point save was spectacular. Where Vukic hits a great first serve out wide. Fritz hits a great stretch return on the backhand. Very, very deep. No pace. Lots of height. And Vukic hits a forehand winner on the plus one. Inside out. Fantastic forehand. Again, Fritz hit a great return. Really deep. But Vukic still hit a forehand winner, which was amazing. So second match point save. High marks for that. Uh, played well in the tiebreak as well. That brings me to the last point I want to make before we wrap up. Fritz. Fritz's mental resilience here. He loses two match points. 
he loses a tight tie break, which ended up being 7-5. He then goes up love 40 at the start of the third set and loses that game. Remember, these things are happening in short succession. 5-6 game, tie break, first game of the third. All of these things are happening in like this 15-minute span. It's gut punch after gut punch after gut punch on Fritz. And he's in a third set in this final. I just got to give him credit for shaking it off, brushing it off, and continuing to kind of keep his head in the game and fight. Not let it really bother him all that much. And, you know, keep keep that business-like professional composure. So that is the theme of this week's Monday Match Analysis. Huh? Some bad stuff happened to Alexi Popperin. Some bad stuff happened to Taylor Fritz. It's going to happen in this game. It's all about how you react, how you respond, and giving yourself as good a chance as you possibly can to win the match, regardless of those kinds of adversarial sequences of events. Mental strength. That's what it looks like. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean not a cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.